Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we do come to you uh, for these moments. And while our minds uh, tend to drift, Lord, would you by your spirit enable us to have concentration and focus and to be um, not just instructed, but encouraged by what you speak to us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. TGIF. I'm not entirely sure what comes to mind for you when I say those words, but probably something in the realm of, thank you, Lord, the weekend is here. For myself, those words bring up to memory popcorn, because on Friday evenings, popcorn was made, and we would sit around together as a family and watch some shows that were played on what was called TGIF. And these are shows, some of them may ring a bell for you, um, that will give away my era, but things like Boy Meets World, Hanging with Mr. Cooper, Full House. And then there was one in particular that had really kind of the longest running. It was almost like a decade this show was, was being aired, was called Family Matters. And it was, of course, you know, it's a bit of a pun, isn't it? Family Matters, because on one hand, it's a statement that family does matter. And on the other hand, the show circled and revolved around matters, issues of the family. And particularly for a family in suburban Chicago in the 90s in which they were approaching the end of the 20th century. Now, not only was it the end of the 20th century a key turn, but it was the end of the second millennium. So, Y2K was fastly approaching, and the question that the show was subtly trying to answer is, are families still relevant in this era, in this time? Do families really matter? And of course, more than the name of the show, you probably remember the annoying neighbor who would always come over, Steve Urkel, with his suspenders. And there was always some sort of debacle, and what constantly came out was moral lessons and themes about the family to reveal that it, the family does indeed matter. And and now, who are we kidding? We're way beyond Y2K. And, and I don't know if you've noticed the troubling waters at hand, but if there ever was a time where the question of, is the family still relevant? Does the family still matter? It's now. And we begin to ask, well, does scripture have anything to say to that end? Does scripture speak towards that question of whether families are relevant, whether they matter, and, 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 and what are the particularities of what a healthy family might look like? Well, this morning, as we delve into the book of Ephesians, we will flesh this out. But before we get there, I do want to remind you, um, just kind of a, briefly of the lay of the land of where we are at in case you've been away or, or have missed this, that the book of Ephesians really did begin with our head in the clouds. It was a book that began by showing us the glorious truths of God and his salvation by grace through faith for us. And 
chapters 1, 2, and 3 piece that out. And then as if Paul says, okay, because of this great and glorious truth, I know you're wondering, what does this look like boots on the ground? And so he begins to say, when we walk as Christians, chapters 4, 5, and 6, this is how you are to walk. Walk in this manner in a way which is pleasing to the Lord. And he actually begins to flesh this out in terms of submission, where he says, submit to one another. And you and I say, well, what does that look like? And so he, he unpacked it by saying, submit to one another looks like wives submitting to their husbands. And then as we see essentially today, children submitting to their parents. And that is what we will be seeing today as we see first in chapter six, verses one through three, children called to submit. And then verse four, we'll look at fathers called to discipline and teach. And as we do, I just, just by way of reminder, I, I, I know I say this often and I want to say this again and again, because I hope it gets in your blood is that the gospel really is not just the ABC of the Christian faith. And then we kind of move on. But I think what Paul is kind of showing us here and it's being just interwoven is the gospel is the A to Z of our Christian faith. The gospel actually touches our husband and wife relationships and our fathers and children's and mother and children's relationship. And, and so these things are deeply connected. And so first we, we begin here with children. Children are in view. And you must catch uh, children, especially those of you uh, of reading age, hear that this passage is actually speaking to you. So I'm glad some some children are in with us to hear this, especially because uh, verse 4 um, gives us a context that the children here in view are likely of child-rearing age. So even though the word here for child could extend up into being, you know, 30s and 40s, etc., probably what's in view here because of verse 4 are children of a younger age. And so the children here with us this morning, the first verse, and if you are reading and able to read, hopefully you have your Bible open, you can see there at verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, this word here that says obey, obey, it's, it's a verb. It, it is speaking to, to kids and to children. And this word, it means exactly what it says. It, it means obey. Uh, ben, Benjamin Merkel, he points out this verb actually is stronger than, than the word submit. So the wife submitting to their husband, this word has a stronger force behind it. And, and so children, this is obeying. Um, you need to know that your parents who God has put over you and whether you agree with them or not, you must believe your parents have your best interest at heart and you need to obey them. So children, whether your parents say, uh, you know, for example, you're to get off screens, not I, but the Lord says you are to get off screens if your parents say you need to do your chores and you need to do your homework, well, you need to obey and do your chores and homework. Children are to obey, it says, in the Lord. And, and this is interesting. It, 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 it's meaning that as the Lord would have us obey him. This could be synonymous with saying obey as unto Christ or if more helpful, like you would obey Jesus, obey your parents. And so then this is not to be with a grudge in heart. Um, I, I know kids, 
who have an attitude that says, fine, I'll do what you said, but I'm not going to like it, and I'm going to let you know I don't like it, by the way. Inwardly, they could say, the last thing I want to do is actually do what you just said, but because I have no other way about it, I will do it. And that's not the heart attitude that we are to have. No, remember, this is an obedience as unto Christ. If Jesus was right here with us, then this obedience is to say, okay, I may not understand everything and why you want me to act this way or do this thing, but because I trust you, I know you have my best interests at heart, I will obey. For if you cannot obey your parents, how will it go well for you? It likely won't. Not only will your earthly life suffer, but your walk with Jesus suffers. I mean, Paul actually says this again in Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, something similar to our text here where he says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And so this is so important. Important to obey our parents. And, and more so here, it's interesting, Paul brings up the fact that this actually comes with a promise. He says there's a promise about this obeying. Uh, he, he's, it's the first commandment with the promise. And, and I, I think you already know that I outright reject the health and wealth gospel. I want nothing to do with it. And yet, just because I think we should reject that, we've got to be careful here not to let that control how we view this promise. I, I, I'm not sure that this promise is entirely eschatological, meaning that the promise of it, it will go well with you, that, that, you, will, that you will be blessed. I, I'm not sure that this is entirely to be thought of in heavenly terms. I think there's an element of this right here and now for our children. I would agree with those who see that this actually is not to just be applied merely to one child who obeys his parents. So the one child obeys his parents and life goes awesome for him. Remember that the Ten Commandments were given to the community of God. And so there's a sense in which as the children obey the parents, the the, the people thrive, the land thrives, the, the nation thrives, the people do well. I, I think one drive around one of the blocks in downtown Portland and you begin to see evidence of a generation that said they will not re- obey their parents, but they will rebel. And, and they are inheriting the fruit of the rebellion. So I think in general, this principle is realized. Oh, if you obey your parents, if, we, if our children in this congregation obey their parents, it will go better for them. Our church will do better in a decade or two decades from now. For your, your parents' children are not trying to torture you with rules. They are trying to protect you from foolish pain and heartache from future suffering. Further, as a very small asterisk, I do want to, to say that we are called to obey our parents. And there's probably only one reason we should ever disobey our parents. The only one reason I can see clearly is when our parents are calling us to sin. To, to not walk with Jesus, to turn away from Jesus. And it is rather rare in our culture. I think there are Muslim cultures where this would be much more common, where they, the, the call from the, from the parents would be for you to leave and forsake Christ. And yet that would be one thing where we are, we are called to disobey our parents and always walk with Jesus, never turn from Christ. But the vast majority of our parents' instructions to us are rules that are not to lead us into sin, like denying Christ, but to turn away from sin. So children, 
I want you to see here that your obedience is a foundation to the church going forward. Whether or not you honor your parents or not is connected with the health of the church in the future. For if you don't obey your parents, you likely will not obey Christ. And so church, this is why I'm asking you, would you please find a way to regularly pray for the children in this church body? To pray for your children, pray for your grandchildren, but to also pray for all the children here. I think it's an an obvious one, but it is a neglected one. I think our prayers must include the next generation who are going to take the baton from us. And children, lastly, if I can just remind you that as difficult as it is to obey your parents, and it can be, Jesus Christ also obeyed his heavenly father. Uh, Jesus went before his father and he asked, is there another way? Can I do something different? Is there another way around this whole thing? And he asked it, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Because kids, he loved you so much that he was willing to obey his heavenly father and go to the cross to die in your place. His obedience on our behalf is what ensures that we will be saved because we are not perfectly obedient. And so even though we fail in this obedience, we need, this is why we need the savior. We need Jesus because what we need is a son who is righteous and holy who will stand in our place, who always obeyed perfectly his heavenly father. All the ways that we sin and disobeyed our parents, Jesus stands in the gap for us and was perfectly obedient. So our hope ultimately is in him. And that's why we live to please him. And children, you need to know that the only real true hope of making it to heaven will be based on what Christ has done on your behalf. By God's grace, we are saved through faith when we trust and believe in Jesus. If, if any one of you here from nine years old on up to 90 years old, if you want to talk about what Jesus has done for you, I will be available at the back doors after service and I would love to talk to you about that. But now we turn and we will consider fathers. We're looking at verse 4 here. And while we turn to consider fathers, children, I just want to remind you that your parents are going to say, shh, the pastor's talking. Don't talk. And you need to obey them when they say that part too. So fathers, this is so short and sweet. It's one verse. There's something not to do and something to do. First, it says, do not provoke your children to anger. Paul here, I don't think he's telling us, hey, don't ever make your kids angry. I don't think he's saying that because the moment you draw a line and say, do the chores or, or you know, stop watching screen. The moment you do any of that, you're going to make your kids mad. That's just good parenting. Good parenting makes children mad all the time. But here, the specific anger that is being provoked in the children, this is, this is different. This is the sort of treatment of children that actually won't lead them towards obedience and Christ and Jesus, but actually will lead them away from Jesus. And this is why this is concerning to us. How does this happen? How do we do this? I think there are many ways for us to consider. Just consider a few here. 
I think having an expectation on them that, that you want them to meet, but is unrealistic that they actually cannot meet. I think that will provoke your children to anger by doing that. I think by speaking to them in a manner that demeans them, puts them down, makes them feel unloved, makes us adults are really important and you children are not important. No, this is not the heart of Christ who says, let the children come unto me. I I think one of the most helpful things we can do in this regard, fathers and mothers, is to include our children as much as we can. The more we can treat them like adults, the more they will rise to that occasion. The more you push them, you're not welcome here. They will feel unloved and they will not, they, they, they can be provoked. I think there's another way too when we expect our children to be above their age. We, we don't want to harshly discipline our children for simply being children. And at times, if I expect my six-year-old to act like a 16-year-old, I can provoke them to anger because, again, I'm just, I have expectations that they are unrealistic. I think we can provoke our children when we act out of anger in our discipline or when we are not consistent with them. I, when we, as parents, we can whipsaw back and forth. We set the rules And then when we're feeling strong and consistent, we keep the rules. But then the moment chaos in life happens and we're tired and we bend on the rules. And then the kids are saying, well, you let us do it that last night. Why can't we do it this way tonight? And so we can provoke them and us to anger when we whipsaw. So we have to be conscious of that. Um, Perhaps your struggle, fathers, is a bit like mine. About 10 o'clock, I, I actually imagine myself grabbing a card and I punch the clock saying, it is the clock of 10. I am no longer a father from 10 p.m. till 7 a.m. And, and therefore, I, I can, you know, provoke them to anger by not tending to their needs when it's later. I have to remember, my, my role as a father is 24-7. And, and fathers, where we, we fail in this, where we fail by provoking our children to anger, we, 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 it demands that we repent, that we apologize. I think it is a manly thing to do, to go to your children and say, you know, your father did not do right. And, and would you, would you forgive me? I, I love you and, and please forgive me as I try to do better in following Jesus by loving you well. I think it's a manly thing to do that and, if you fathers, I mean, sometimes we can be tempted to just double down on our rules, kind of kick our heels in and this is the way it is. Deal with it. And I think when we do that and we provoke them to anger, you may seem to have won the battle, but over time you can lose the war. And yes, at times I think parenting really is war. 18 years, well, I, to be honest, some of you have told me it's more like 30 or 40 years you're still going on of war, of raising children. It's just how it is. But verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so, fathers, I do want you to hear this. There are things that are out of your control. But by and large, you are responsible for the tone and the spiritual health of your home. I think the reason that Paul addresses fathers and not mothers here is not because the mothers don't play an important role. Mothers, you do. But it is because much of what I'm going to say here is exactly what the fathers need to hear because they are the ones responsible to oversee and manage their households well. When fathers do this, it's absolutely crucial. 
to see that children do not exist for their fathers, but fathers exist for their children. Let me say that again. Children do not exist for their fathers, but fathers exist for their children. Why? To lead them, to guide them, to correct, to train, to discipline, to model what it looks like to live well for the Lord. So, fathers, perhaps you can ask yourself this morning, have I been a a good model this last week of, of living for Jesus? If my children were to walk with me just throughout the day from when I rose to when I went to bed, would they say, aha, this is a decent example of what it looks like to walk with the Lord? Did I, did I engage my kids well? Did I actively live amongst them or was I passively sitting by and letting life happen? Because I think father passivity is the sin of our day of letting children rule the home rather than getting up and saying, ah, ah, ah. You were told that you need to quit doing this. And I'm going to consistently tell you, you need to stop doing that. And you need to start doing that over here. And if even if need be, more than just barking orders at our children, we join them as fathers. We get on our knees and help them do the chores so that they can see this is what good work looks like. We, we, we sit on their level to play with them at times as needed or include them in on the projects that we're working on so that they also are learning how to work with their hands and honor the Lord. And this is where I think church, a large part of our discipleship within the church on the mountain actually happens. It actually happens when parents and grandparents are with their children and grandchildren working together. Parents, you need to know your, the, your number one discipleship relationship prior to all other discipleship relationships in this church body are first and foremost within your home. Recall that discipling means helping others follow Jesus. And so the most important relationships you have are with your children or grandchildren, helping them do that. And so by way of application, let me, let me highlight one simple but very key way that you fathers can lead your family. By leading the charge to bring your family to church. You know, if my, my wife is like, I don't know, I think, uh, I think uh, we've, we've had it a bit, we're a little bit tired, we had the, the birthday party go a little too late last night, and I think there's always those excuses, there's always those reasons, and, 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 and trust me, believe me, I know, I know, there are seasons for vacations, there are time for vacations, there are time for being sick, you know, I, I get that, but, I think when fathers lead and direct the family to be here on a Sunday morning, they're actually impressing their children. What I mean by that is they're giving it an impression onto the child so that the children begin to see modeled before them. My father, boy, life and family was chaotic. Things happen. Life happens. But he really valued being at church and worshiping with God's people. And being instructed. And I saw how he had his Bible open. He was taking his walk with Jesus seriously. When we do that, it, it sets a huge impression right onto our children that they then will, will emulate and follow. Uh, let me also encourage you in the way that your family ought to be Christians together. I, th- I think this can look like various things and, and there's not a cookie cutter version of this, but ask yourself in your family, what does it look like for you to gather together as Christians? Does it look like around the dinner table where you sit together and and are talking about the Lord together? 
Could it like look like you going through a children's Bible before bed? Uh, here, here's a simple thing that you could do. This is a, an easy place to start. It's just once a week on Sunday evenings after uh, the church service. If you're taking notes through the sermon, doesn't matter who's preaching or what the content is, try to discuss that with the children. Um, the pastor said this funny thing. Uh, he said this interesting thing. The text says this thing, and I'm wrestling with this. Is this right? Is this true? Is what the pastor said what the Bible says? That's key. And then beginning to try and say, can I flesh this out with my children at home? That just once a week, that could be an easy place to start. If you like direction on resources that I have found particularly helpful with my own family, see me after service. I would love to point you in the direction of some resources. We live in a time where fathers are belittled and they are thumbed down. The role of the father in a child's life is appeared to be less and less important. And yet scripture is showing us it couldn't be any more important. I think Kathy Woodard in her article, father knows best. She puts it this way. And I think she's right. The leadership of the man within a family is like the law of gravity. You can try to wish it away. You can argue it's unfair. But if you walk off the edge of a building, you plummet. Likewise with fatherhood. You try to ignore it and your civilization collapses. Fathers, you play a key role. Grandfathers, you play a key role. Don't disregard it. The bar is set high. And mothers, just as a quick word of encouragement to you and grandmothers, your role in raising your children and your grandchildren is also pivotal and it's not to be overlooked. Even though this is addressing to fathers, I just want to remind you the reason that I'm here is because of my grandmother. She played a huge role in my coming to faith. I remember one morning looking at her table and she had the list of what she was to do that day. And at the very top of the list, she said, start the day off right. Start with Jesus. You don't think that didn't mean something to me? It totally meant something to me. You don't know where your grandchildren are going to be at and the role that you played. And think of, think of, uh, Timothy, where Paul is addressing Timothy and he says in chapter one of second Timothy, he says, Hey, Timothy, don't forget about the faith that was first in your mother and your grandmother, uh, Lois and Eunice. And that I'm sure now is within you. So mothers and grandmothers, don't, don't disregard your walk with the Lord and the impact and it, your impact may be just, and grandfathers and fathers may be when you're in the grave and you only see it from a heavenly vision. Okay. I just, so if that encourages you, let, let it sit. You men here with, without children or grandchildren, I just want to encourage you for a moment here. I think it would be a mistake for you to overlook the important role that you can play in this church body. For example, I just mentioned Paul with Timothy. Uh, notice when Paul addresses Timothy, he doesn't talk about his father. Maybe his father is out of the picture, but I don't know. But, but Paul sure, surely was a spiritual father to Timothy. And, and I think you men, whether you have children or grandchildren in the picture, can absolutely play a role in being a mentor, being a model, being a discipler of others in this church body. And so if I can come full circle here this morning, I think the big idea of this passage is this. As children obey parents, they do so 
knowing that they honor their heavenly father. And therefore, the text says they will be rewarded. And as fathers teach and discipline and disciple their children, they do so in a way that will not push them from the Lord, but actually draw them in closer to the Lord. And let me say, I think honestly, every father and grandfather here, if you've been listening to my words this morning, you probably have a realistic sense of, wow, I have fallen short in this. I have not done well in this. There have been major eclipses where I have just dropped the ball. And if that's you this morning, you're in good company. And I think even as you know that you we've failed at times in this, I want you to hear this morning that there's good news for you. Can't you see here that when Paul tells us to raise our children in the instruction of the Lord, that's not merely just a dispensing of rules to them. I hope you see that. When Paul tells fathers to raise their children in the instruction of the Lord, that's the teaching, the teaching of what? The content of the scripture, which is the good news of Jesus Christ come. So that even as you are dispensing the instruction about how Christ has come and Christ is Lord and Savior, what are you doing as a father? Are you not also reminding yourself of the grace that has been applied to you, imperfect father who has failed? Are you not also, at the same time, reminding your children there is grace upon grace? Reminding yourself, thank you, Lord, there is grace for me too as a failed father. And I need that grace. So fathers, even as you proclaim the good message to your children throughout the days and weeks and months, you're actually reminding your own self at the same time that we stand clean before our Heavenly Father. Why? Because the Son came and lived in your stead to really begin to sacrificially love our families. Well, you and I, we must first gaze into the heart of our Heavenly Father who gave up his beloved son for us as a sacrifice. The son in whom he was well pleased because he paid the debt that we owed. Would you pray with me? Father, we come considering the words that this book opens up with as we think of Ephesians Chapter 1, where you tell us, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This entire good news is embedded in a Father who sent His Son, the obedient one. And so, as we meditate on that, as we teach that to our children, Lord, would you enable us fathers to do well in this, and mothers to do well in this. And Spirit, would you lead our children into obedience where they struggle to obey on their own? Would your Spirit guide them and lead them into a deeper obedience and trust of not just their parents, but of you, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.